Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 216 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. And look, we have a lot to cover today. If you've been on social media, if you've been on Twitter and say the past 24, 36 hours, it's probably been difficult to keep up with the deluge of NFL news. And that's what we're going to try to do here at the start of the show. There's just a ton of stuff to get to, trade deadline and more. So we're going to do that. In the second half of the show, we're going to get to a football game. New England Patriots, Carolina Panthers. That is the game on tap this weekend. The New England Patriots sit at 4-4. Four and four. You can't say halfway through the season because it's, you know, they're at like the 47% mark of the season, right? Because we have the 17-game schedule. But they sit at 4-4. Four and four. They face a trip a little bit down south, almost closer to my neck of the woods, to the Carolina Panthers, uh, to Carolina, to take on Sam Darnold and company and the Carolina Panthers. So in the second half of the show, we're really going to turn our focus to that. Before we dive into everything else, your usual cavalcade of announcements Follow along with the work at USA Today Touchdown Wire. Uh, follow out on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Follow along the work at other places. Uh, Bleeding Green Radio, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Factory with the one and only the brilliant Rachelle Prevet. Check out Dak Watch if you're interested in that for blogging the boys. Check out the work at Big Blue View where I'm going to be uh, recapping the Giants offense at the halfway point for them because they're entering their bye week. Also, the RSP game... The RSP Quick Game podcast, myself and Matt Waldwin, dropped another episode on Tuesday. We dove into a ton of stuff in, in that show. Uh, people seem to really like that one. It's one that I really love doing too, so so please check that out. As with all these pods, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Tell your friends. We're getting into the holidays, Thanksgiving and Hanukkah and you know, Christmas season and Kwanzaa and all that stuff. So, so when you're getting together with family and friends, say a kind word. And also, look, the Slack channel, if you'd like an invite, hit me up for an invite um, on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Um, let's get to it. And first, we'll sort of talk about the trade deadline, right? And there, there really wasn't much that happened. I already talked about the Vaughn Miller trade because that happened on Monday when I was doing this show. So you got my initial reaction to that sort of in the moment. You know, the other ex- sort of big domino that people expected would fall would be the Deshaun Watson trade, and apparently ownership actually reached out to Watson. That did not happen. Watson's still a member of the Houston Texans. The only other sort of, like, trade that really went down, Charles Omenu uh, for the Houston Texans now finds a new home with the San Francisco 49ers. And if you're interested in that one at all, I did a piece over at USA Today breaking down sort of where he could fit in in that San Francisco 49ers offense and what he does well. Actually got a decent number of pressures to his name this year. I think he had 17 pressures to date. And so when I sat down to sort of watch him for that piece and, you know, to get a sense of what the 49ers were getting, I was very impressed with him sort of as like a 4-5 technique, right? Sort of hand in the dirt, on or just off the shoulders, the outside of the tackle, Working to the inside. Very quick first step to the inside. Texans gave him a lot of opportunities to slant to the inside with a good quick first step. He was able to get some pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Texans also dating back to last season, 
used him sometimes in some sub packages as an interior rusher, whether as a three technique over guards, as a zero technique at time over centers. And so you look at, you know, the San Francisco 49ers, obviously they have Bosa, they have D4, like they have some presence on the outside. So he might be more of a rotational guy on the outside. But interior wise, he could certainly sort of step in, offer something there. And so I think that's what you're going to see from Charles Omenu, sort of an interior pass rusher, interior specialist on the inside, particularly in some packages. And then on the outside, you'll know, be a rotational guy. You want to spell Bosa. You want to spell Ford. Maybe you decide one week and want to slide one of those guys inside. You can play him on the outside. He can do some stuff off the edges. But I think for the most part, him on the interior with those guys on the outside is probably how the 49ers look to use him. So that's some quick words there. We also have the Odell Beckham saga playing out. And if you, you've paid any attention to Brown's Twitter, which I have, it's not a fun place right now. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a piece about Baker Mayfield and the people didn't like it too much. Um, but I was just raising questions. I was just saying, look, is this the guy you're going to go in on or not? Um, since then, it's not like the situation has improved they got a win over the Broncos with Case Keenum, and that opened the doors to some criticism, sort of the, you know, maybe Baker isn't really the franchise guy camp, gave them some ammo, say, hey, ooh, Case Keenum. You know, then they lose this week to the Steelers. There's always been this sort of undercurrent, too, of what's wrong with 6-13? and 13? Why can't those two get on the same page? And that really kicked into high gear early this week. When Odell Beckham's dad shared out a video on YouTube about all the times that Baker Mayfield didn't see Odell being open. And that just sort of led to speculation that, look, this relationship has been fractured. It's beyond repair. There's other people saying, look, you know, they haven't treated other receivers the right way. You know, it's really set up sort of a Baker versus Odell sort of camp on Brown's Twitter. My buddy Jeff Lloyd, I don't know how he does it, hosted Locked on Brown's you know, handling and surviving life in those two worlds. Um, and the most recent news on that front is that Odell was excused from practice on Wednesday, even though he was ready to go. And this is now post-trade deadline. And just in the last few minutes, you have some reported out Jake Trotter, who covers the Browns, because um, Kevin Stefanski is speaking to the media right now says Odell's agent and Brown's general manager, Andrew Berry, are discussing next steps. Mike Silver is reporting out that earlier today, Brown's coach Kevin Stefanski told his players that Odell is essentially not on the team right now and the wide receiver has been told to stay at home. Is this headed to a scenario where he gets released? And now he would be subject to waivers if he gets released. And so... You know, normally somebody, a vested veteran, prior to the trade deadline, you get released. You're not subject to waivers, right? Um, a, a team, you go to free agency immediately, teams can sign you. That was the Stephon Gilmore situation. Now, this is different. From the trade deadline through the end of the season, a vested veteran is also subject to waivers. Now, interestingly enough, According to the NFLPA and the collective bargaining agreement, a vested veteran claimed on waivers after the trade deadline and who is under a long-term contract 
has the option of opting out of that contract after the season is over, allowing him to become an unrestricted free agent. Odell is not currently set to hit free agency until 2024. So I think as such, he could fall under that category and it would just be like a literally half a season rental and a worst case scenario for his new team, right? So that gets you with the Patriots putting a waiver claim. You know, obviously with the waiver order, they'd be middle of the pack right now because we're at the point of the season where it's done by 2021 record. And so you have to get back teams like Jacksonville and Detroit and things like that. So, you know, and I think if you're Odell and you get signed by the Lions, for example, you'll probably take advantage of that option, right, and, and opt out. But, you know, with the Patriots insert Odell into this situation, they'd have to leapfrog some teams via the waiver wire process to do that. I, I know there's some mutual love and respect from Odell to Belichick and Belichick to Odell, but I don't know if they'd be able to, to get him anyway. Then there's Aaron Rodgers. As if this day wasn't enough, Aaron Rodgers is now out for Green Bay's game Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs because he has tested positive for COVID. And many people were like, well, he's vaccinated. Apparently not. And there's also it's reported now that even though he was asked this summer specifically, are you vaccinated? He said, yes, I'm immunized. People took that to being he's vaccinated. Apparently, he went down a different path, which is okay. That's his decision. Uh, but now, because of the agreements between the league and the NFLPA and such, he's treated as an unvaccinated player. Apparently, he had petitioned for some treatment that he had gotten to be deemed as a vaccinated player by the league. The league rejected that. So he's been, and the league's been aware of his sort of status as an unvaccinated player. And as such, he's 10 days now. He's out 10 days, which calls into question not just this game, but his next game. So there's the Aaron Rodgers situation to deal with. Interestingly enough, their reserve third-string quarterback, Kirk Bankert, he's COVID positive. Jordan Love, I've read reporting that he's vaccinated, so he's not deemed to be a close contact with his other two quarterback teammates. So he's okay for now. But what if he tests positive? That's a situation to monitor. Saquon Barkley also tested positive. We got that news. And then there's the Henry Ruggs situation. You know, the reports and the stories, which are brutal and, and horrific, fiery car crash, Henry Ruggs had his preliminary hearing Wednesday morning, and the prosecutor indicated that he was twice the legal limit, that two seconds before the crash, he was traveling at 156 miles per hour. At the time of the crash with the other car, he was at 127. He had a loaded gun in the car, which I believe was unregistered. Again, these are all facts that are presented. They have not been proven in a court of law. Henry Ruggs entitled to his day in court. A woman died. The car that he hit, he had his girlfriend in the car. He hit a car with a woman and a dog that were in the other car. That car caught fire. Both the woman and the dog perished. It's an awful story. So it's been a lot. It's been a lot on sort of the NFL landscape over the past, say, 36 hours. And I, you know, it, it's it's a lot to cover a lot of bunch of different stories. Um, with the rug situation, he's certainly entitled to his day in court. Um, but I, I just will say generally, reading the Nevada statute, and not to be lawyer Mark again, because lawyer Mark always makes me uncomfortable and queasy. Um, as I've said before, I was not a good lawyer. It's why I'm here. But I think armed with those facts, you can make a very strong case that Henry Ruggs is going to go away for a long time. 
I mean, the, the way that the statute, he was charged with two different crimes. One was the felony DUI causing an accident and death, and the other was reckless driving causing an accident and death. And the first one, the felony one, you know, you've got to show that they were above the legal limit, 0.08. Well, 0.161. I mean, that's twice the legal limit. It's not a situation where he's tested at the time and it's like just over, like 0.09. And you can get an expert in to say that the, the testing wasn't done right, the machine wasn't done right. You know, it's not that kind of scenario. And my understanding was it was a blood draw too, which is also a lot more accurate than, say, a breathalyzer on the scene. So there's that. There's also, look, it's not like a situation where he's going 40 and a 35 and somebody cuts in front of him and, you know, yes, he's in, impaired at the time, but even somebody driving completely sober isn't going to be able to stop in time. So his, the fact that he was impaired or not is not the, like, proximate cause of the crash. This isn't that. You're going 156. Like, that's not reasonable. And that's certainly reckless. Like, even if you strip out the DUI impairment part, 156 is, like, absurd. It's beyond reckless. And even that, if you throw away the DUI part and just look at the second charge, the reckless driving leading to a accident which causes death, 156, 127 at the moment of impact, that's reckless. And that carries a jail sentence. And, and so... He's entitled to his day in court. His lawyers are entitled to put on their case and their defense. And these are allegations that are being submitted right now by the prosecution that have not been proven. But it's a pretty, pretty damning set of facts for Henry Ruggs. And so that's the Ruggs situation. That's all the stuff that's going on in the NFL. We got a game to talk about. Finally, going to dive into that next here on episode 216 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 216 of the Sco Show. And I even forgot Michael Thomas, Saints wide receiver. He is now out for the season. You know, posted a statement on social media that the ankle injury, he's had a setback. And you wonder, okay, in terms of Odell landing spots, the Saints apparently tried to acquire a wide receiver prior to the deadline. They couldn't get a deal done. Maybe there's your landing spot. Maybe you get Trevor Simeon thrown to Odell Beckham for the New Orleans Saints. Just like we all thought the season was going to shake out. So maybe that's where we go. Um, let's talk Panthers because, interestingly enough, if the playoffs were to start today, the Carolina Panthers would be in. And I know that's a bit of a shock given the way the past couple of weeks went for the Panthers. But right now, the Panthers are sitting at 4-4. Four and four, And they would be in. They would be in as the seven seed, but they would be in. I want to start when the Patriots have the football. And, and I wrote something that's, that touches upon this at USA Today. I wrote it and put it up today. You know, in, in watching offenses and quarterback play and passing games this year, I'm seeing something that I, I thought I was seeing a little bit more of than in recent years. And I asked some other people and they were like, yeah, you're seeing it a little bit more. The numbers kind of bear it out. You've seen, Sports Info Solutions has 63 passing attempts this year already, as opposed to, I, I think, 120 last year overall. Um, and again, we're going to get more games and extra games, so this number I expect to be a little bit higher than last year, particularly with the teams that are doing it and the success some teams are having it. And 
the piece is about sniffers, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But the genesis, the starting point is something else we're seeing a lot of, which is those six-man pressure looks, right? Six-man pressure looks pre-snap with two defenders mugged up over the center, one in each A-gap. And there are a lot of reasons why you do this, but one of the main reasons is, look, ask any quarterback, they would tell you interior pressure early in the down is a problem. So you put those two guys in there, they both blitz, you get one of them free, quarterback has to get off his spot. Maybe you don't even sack him, but you force the quarterback into survival mode early in the down. And then there are other things you can do off of it. You can show that look, drop those guys, blitz off the edges, that you might get some easy pressure that way, and I've got an example of that. Basically, you're forcing the offense pre-snap to make some decisions because say you're in your typical 3 by one 11 personnel, and you've got that sort of look. If the t- if you've just got a five-man protection called, they've got six showing pressure, you've got to make an adjustment. Otherwise, you're throwing hard or getting drilled. And so you might see teams keep the back in. You might see teams keep the tight end in. You might see teams keep both in. You know, you're forcing the offense to make some adjustments pre-snap. And then you get into a mode where you show that look and two of the guys drop. You've kept seven in protection. You've only got three to throw to. Now you're throwing three versus seven in the secondary. That's sometimes tough too. So there's all that stuff. Then there's the really nasty stuff, the sort of Saban check rain blitz. And this is something that, that Belichick does as well. And sort of the idea behind that is this. The center has one face, one set of eyes, right? You've got these two guys in the A-gaps. You're worried about protecting the quarterback if both of those guys come. But the center can only open to one of them, right? If you go full slide and you slide everybody to one side, that's how you want to handle it. Center will slide to the right along with everybody else. Well, you're hoping then if the guy to the left comes and blitzes that the guard gets there in time. If he doesn't, you got a problem. Or maybe you go half slide, right, where you go slide to the right with the center and everybody else, right guard, right tackle, and you go, you know, man on man to the left backside. Well, again, if you've got somebody head up on the guard and somebody in the A gap to that side and the guard takes one of those, you're going to get quick interior pressure. You know, the, you're, you're forcing a situation where as a defense you can get some advantageous stuff because the center can only open one way. What's even worse is you do this check rain blitz where you got those two guys mugged up. And the Patriots do this. There are examples of that as well that you can find. Ollie Conley wrote a great piece about this where, okay, you, you walk those two guys up. If you're one of the linebackers and the center opens towards you, you drop and try to get underneath any quick crossers or hot throws. So if the center opens away from you, you blitz. Either way, doesn't matter which way he opens, you're going to create a situation where they can't block it up. And so what teams are doing is sort of tasking, you know, a way to deal with that is you task the running back with reading inside out, scan protection where, you know, the center's going to pick one of those guys up. So say they both come, center opens to the left, he picks up one, the other guy comes from the right side, back gets there and picks him up, right? Well, sort of a problem with that is if you think about it from a positional, from a area of the field standpoint, the back might get there in time, but as a quarterback, you're dropping or you're waiting for that shotgun snap and you see this guy with free rusher at you, you might bail anyway, or you might move off the spot anyway, and then you sort of throw the time into the concept of the playoff. So what we're seeing teams do is use a sniffer. 
And again, it's not something that's revolutionary or brand new. I mean, you can find articles about sniffers. Like you can find articles about this rain blitz, like back in 2012, Brian Vaughn runs the Blitzology blog, wrote about it before the Patriots Super Bowl that year about how Belichick was using that rain blitz. So again, none of this stuff's new. Most of it's coming up from the Fridays and Saturdays anyway. But the sniffer, you know, at the collegiate level, you'd sometimes see that sniffer alignment, right? Where a back or a tight end aligns just behind the line, you know, in the A gap or the B gap. Seth Galina wrote a piece back in 2019 about how you can use sniffer tags to arc blocks and pop passes and things like that. But now, you know, we saw some of it last year. You're seeing a lot. I'm seeing a lot more of it now this year from different teams. Last year was mostly Buffalo that was doing it. Buffalo was doing it more than anybody else. Now you're seeing teams like the Bengals and the Rams. They're using that sniffer alignment against these looks. So that way, look, you see that mugged up double A-gap blitz look. Your center will open to one side. Your back will walk up to the other side. So if your center is going to open to the left, you walk the back into the right A-gap right behind them right behind the center and the guard, and he's right there. So if both guys come, you've got it blocked up. You are right there. You stop him at or near the line of scrimmage, your quarterback feels safe. And I've got examples of, of offenses running that against the Panthers because the Panthers are a team that will use this. And they like to put Chin and, and Thompson or Chin and some other players in those A-gaps and bring these looks. And sometimes they'll cross the guys too. They did that recently against the Atlanta Falcons. They'll walk those guys up and cross them. And that might be a situation, and I theorized this in the piece, where if you're the running back playing it from depth, you can see them cross so you have more time. If you're right there, you might get the center and guard, I mean the center and the back sort of conflicting, you know, bumping into each other, trying to pick up those two guys crossing. But, you know, that's something that the Panthers do. Now, that's something that the Patriots are going to have to be ready for. Now, interestingly enough, the Patriots, I, unless I missed it, I haven't seen an example of them in response to this look using a sort of sniffer alignment. But we, we talked about this two weeks ago. They saw one of those looks from the Jets. Mac Jones brought Hunter Henry in and he kept the back in. He went Max seven-man protection scheme because he said, look, they're showing six. I've got seven. I know I'm blocked up. The two guys then dropped but he was able to throw the crosser out because he, A, felt comfortable in the pocket from a protection standpoint, and B, if those guys are dropping and trying to get depth coming from the line of scrimmage, you've got a window to hit throws behind them. And and so that's something that I would be paying particular attention to this Sunday. When the Panthers show those double A-gap mug looks, how do the Patriots respond? Do they do with some teams like the Cowboys? I had some examples of the Cowboys walking Ezekiel Elliott up against the Panthers when they showed that look. And so that's something I'm very curious to watch, those those mug looks. Offensively, they might get Christian McCaffrey back, and that will certainly change this game, right? When the Panthers have the ball, if they get Christian McCaffrey back, he will be a problem. He might be someone you dedicate a safety to, not a linebacker to. You know, that changes things from a matchup standpoint on down the line. You know, he will certainly be a problem. You will have to worry about run game. When it comes to Sam Darnold, if he goes, you know, does he, do they involve him in the run game and things like that? But the main thing is, look, you know what you're going to get from Sam Darnold. You know how to confuse him. Spin the safeties, show him one thing, run a different thing, like 
confusing Sam Darnold. Bill Belichick's going to be able to do that. The concern when the Panthers have the football is Christian McCaffrey if he goes. You know, we'll have to watch that hamstring as Sunday gets closer. My main fear in this game, which I think the Patriots should win, is what Phil Snow's defense is going to do to Mac Jones. Now, interestingly enough, a lot of Phil Snow, former Baylor defensive coordinator, the lot of stuff that he does is sometimes people call it collegiate stuff. Mac Jones is kind of familiar. He's seen some stuff like that before. You know, last year when Mac Jones, I mean, excuse me, when Phil Snow's defense confused Aaron Rodgers, like Rodgers has been in the league for a while, hasn't seen a lot of this stuff. Jones has seen a little bit more recently. So Jones might be ready for this. He might be able to say, like, yeah, you know, this... This this mug look or, you know, this design, this, this three safety look, this three deep look, that's stuff that I saw at the SEC last year. And so maybe Mac Jones is, interestingly enough, oddly enough, prepared for this more than veteran quarterback. So um, my concern in this one is that defense against Mac Jones and company from a conceptual standpoint more than a, is Mac Jones going to be able to handle this standpoint? I think Mac Jones, as I just said, oddly enough, might be ready for it. But either way. I'll be here Monday to recap it all. Like I said, it's been a lot. We try to cover a lot. By the time this posts, we might have a new destination for Odell. So if the first half of the show, like, you know, one-sixth of this show, the Odell stuff is already stale, I'm sorry. I can only, you know, record this and get it out as fast as I can. But like I said, I'll be back Monday. Stay safe, friends. Check on your neighbors. Check on your loved ones. We're getting into holiday season. As I said, we got Hanukkah on the horizon. We got... Thanksgiving on the horizon. I already shared out the the Martha Stewart turkey roast and recipe. Benjamin Solak, the great Ben Solak from the Rainer Now, which is still awesome to say. It's just awesome to say. Um, was that he's doing Thanksgiving this year, Friendsgiving, and he was looking for advice. I swear by the Martha method. I've been doing it for, gosh, I've been doing it for like ten more than ten years at this point. Um, but I swear by it. I know people go brine, they go spatchcock, they go all. Lots of wine, lots of butter, lots of baste, and it's never it's never done me wrong. So I'm, I swear by that. Um, maybe we'll talk some recipes as Thanksgiving gets closer. But until next time, friends, as I said, checking on your neighbors, checking on your loved ones. Wash those hands, and when you do, sin along. Bless those Patriots' reigns down in Foxborough.